Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening to Pierre Pressure Podcast. For those of you just listening for the first time, the purpose of this show is to talk to people who make music, musicians, producers, instrumentalists, people who play music and make music, mostly songwriters, but sometimes producers, people who are involved in the process of creating music. I'd like to talk to them, find out what their process is, and find out how politics interweaves with everything they do, because I believe it is part of everything we do in life. And I think having conversations about it is very important in this day and age when things have gotten very, very difficult and complicated and we're in a crisis in America and the world is sort of following suit with it. So I'm trying to get some understanding of what it is to make art and how we can exist in the world as artists and musicians and try to make some good happen. Try to make the world a more beautiful place, not just by making beautiful art, but by living good lives that help kind of fix the mess we're in and help preempt more of a mess. So that's what I'm into, and that's what this podcast is about. In this episode, I spoke with Paul Womack, also known as Willie Green. He's a hip-hop producer. He's a really interesting guy, and we had a really great conversation. I was uh, very fortunate to get to know him recently through a friend, and he agreed to talk to me, and I really wanted to know the ins and outs of what it's like working in the world of hip-hop these days, and he, he does really interesting stuff. He's involved in what could be called art rap or avant-garde hip-hop. A lot of the stuff he does is very uh, unusual, very creative, uh, very focused on not sounding like the same old stuff, same old cookie-cutter mainstream garbage that's out there. Um, So I just love the way he thinks about music and the way he approaches creating sound. We had a really good conversation Um, We touched on a lot of subjects. I'm familiar with hip-hop. I've always liked it, and I've listened to a lot of stuff, and there's stuff I really love about it, but there's huge holes in my knowledge about it, and I think I have had some preconceptions that were maybe a little bit ignorant about it as well, so I was looking forward to talking to someone who's fully immersed in that world and try to learn about it. And so we, we got into it, and... Some of the territory we covered, I think, was a little sensitive, and I I might have come off uh, not sounding the way I was really trying to express myself, but I was just trying to kind of dig in and figure out how I think about certain things. So if I didn't do a great job explaining myself on some of these uh, moments, I apologize, but my intention is to understand, to be aware, to be sensitive, to learn, and to have a conversation. So I hope all of that comes across, and I really hope you enjoy my conversation with hip-hop producer Willie Green. So I'm really happy to talk to you. Thank you for taking time to do this. Oh, I'm glad to be here. Thank you. You're just doing a ton of interesting work producing hip-hop, and you've been doing it for a while and have uh, put together a really impressive body of work. And so it's... Thank you. For me, this is a really good chance to learn a bit because i know I've, I've always loved hip-hop and i you know i have stuff that i love and i've listened to for years but uh, there's always room to learn for me and it's just a really rich interesting world that i want to explore more and also 
we're talking about politics on this podcast. Sure. So um, to me, like, you know, hip hop itself is just political by its nature, just yeah. by the, the nature of what's going on in our country and our world and how people are expressing themselves. So that's what we're here for today. Sounds good. So um, I just want to kind of get a background of like how you got started in music. Um, I, I know you, you were a drummer for a while or what was your first? Yeah, uh, in a previous life, I guess. Um not too long ago, I suppose. I grew up playing drums. Uh, I come from a bit of a musical family. Uh, my grandfather was a great singer, but my godfather, my uncle, really kind of brought me along and introduced me. Like He gave me my first drum machine, my first keyboard, and bought me my first drum kit. Um, so he really you know, and, and introduced me to, to music, but also he uh, owned the first studio that I ever hung out in. He had a basement studio in Hartford, Connecticut, and I would just go over there and just hang with him and just you know, start to learn how to make records. So that was really the beginning of it. And uh, he always That's says... Fantastic. Is that where you grew up, Hartford? Yeah, yeah born okay. and raised in Hartford and okay. right around there. Um, you know, he always said that when I was born, he was like, man, I really need a drummer for my band. So he kind of pushed me in that direction. Uh, but then by the time I was 15, I was playing club gigs with him, uh, in and around Hartford and, uh, they would sneak me in through the back door. I would play the set. I'd sit in the car during the set break because I wasn't supposed to be in the bar, and it would just sneak me sneak me in and out. But that was wow. uh, the beginnings of, uh, of, of my musicianship, my performance career. That is so excellent to have like a, a family member like that who can like usher you into it and yeah, 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 keep you going. So, did you um, ever like? You got a drum set. You started learning. Like, did you ever have lessons and stuff? Yeah, I did. Uh, you know, a lot of the traditional route of. Um, you know, playing the school bands, uh, you know, starting elementary school, and then I got more and more into jazz. So in junior high and high school, I was really active in all the jazz bands, uh, playing drum set, playing vibes. Um, oh, cool. So, you know, the traditional drum side of it, but also the kind of the melodic side, uh, dealing with the vibes and the melodic things with that. Uh, but I was in marching band, I was in orchestra, um, you know, playing a lot of mouth stuff, some classically trained percussionist. But then on the weekends with my uncle, we were we were a dance band. Uh, oh, my wow. uncle's uh, name is Dave Mack. We were the Dave Mack band, and we did covers. Uh, so we would go out on a Friday, Saturday night, and play dance tunes for four hours. We're playing wow. James Brown, we're playing Prince. We do a lot of reggae, so a lot of you know, Bob Marley, Peter Tosh, that stuff. So a very, I think, well-rounded musical upbringing, getting a lot of different influences. That's amazing. Like That must have been such an amazing education for you to be playing that stuff yeah live and learning all those tunes and like it's and you were playing drums with the band yeah you know and how old were you when that was going on um i joined the band when i was 15 yeah and then uh even through college like that would be my that would be my summer job i would come home from college and some people God. would you know get a job parking cars or whatever and i played drums you know five nights a week you know that that was my summer wow. job so that is amazing you know that's um you know, yeah. just a head-first dive into, totally. okay, here, here's professional music. Yeah. You know, it's not exactly how you see on MTV, but wow. this is real life. You're working. musicians. Yeah. You're working class musician. Wow. Uh, which is something that's always stuck, uh, has always stayed with me, you know. Like, my uncle, still this day, makes his living playing club dates, you know, in uh, southern New England. And it's like... D- Dave Mack, you said? Dave Mack, yeah. Cool. Yeah. And he still has the band and uh, does dance music? Band. Well, yeah, he's still doing dance music, but as times have changed and technology has changed, he, you know... A lot of clubs are like, well, what if it's just you and the guitar and some tracks? You want right. to play the whole bit. So that kind right. of thing is changing. But, you know, he's still out singing and playing guitar five, six nights a week. You ever if, go play with him anymore? Jump in and play drums? Uh, it's a long time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's been a long time.
time. Uh, he had a big birthday uh, a couple years back, and so you know the band set up, and I sat in and I played. Cool. And I'm slowly trying to become a drummer again. Uh, okay. But as I've become, as I move beyond behind the scenes and become a producer and engineer, there's a lot less time to sit down and play drums. But right. I miss it. So now my new studio, I got a booth big enough for drums, so I got cool. a drum kit. Theoretically, for my clients and for session work, mm-hmm. but when I can set it up and, and sit down and get busy for a little while, that's a good day, and I get to do that. I, I do that as much as I can. That's great. So you were like a fully performing working musician by age fifteen, and you were doing this as your summer job, and you so you knew how you knew how songs were put together and everything. Yeah, you know, for me, especially playing a lot of like those old Motown songs, mm-hmm. you know, like a lot of that was just school because you know you're going to play and you need to know the songs you understand what makes the grooves work Mm -hmm. because our job is to make people dance right and it's a it's a particular kind of lesson it's like all right it's not about you it's not about your drum fills it's not about all your chops it's like it's like the space between the kick and the snare yeah it's like what's making people's asses shake that's where that's that's where you dance is inside is inside that groove right so you know, and it would be the kind of thing, all right, we're playing a James Brown groove. Yeah. If the floor is moving, you know, if everyone's on the dance floor moving, yeah. you don't change the song. So we might be out there playing, you know, James Brown for 20 minutes. Sex Machine for and, 20 minutes. Exactly. And you yeah. just go. Because yeah. the last, especially as the drummer of the dance, band, the dance band, the last thing you do is stop the party. Right. You can't do that. So right. when everybody's moving, you got to keep them moving. So yeah. that's a certain kind of, you know, it's, it's a certain kind of mindset that then has translated later on when I'm making... You know, if I'm, you know, I do a lot of hip hop, but I also do some pop records and just like, okay, well, what makes you move? Whether it's what makes your head nod, what makes you dance? And, you know, taking from some of the greatest songwriters like Stevie Wonder and Smokey Robinson, who wrote mm-hmm. countless, countless hits, mm-hmm. being indoctrinated in that growing up, especially when it wasn't my era, was, you know, just, it was always new lessons for me because I had to get in there and understand, well, okay, what makes this song work? And having that from a young age just naturally like that becomes embedded in you. That transfers into into what you create later on. And so how did you get into hip hop and how did you get into recording? Two different, I guess, two different questions. Um, yeah, but it also, it's, it's still kind of the same. You know, I'm, uh, you know, born in the early 80s. Uh, I'm an 80s baby, so that's just what I grew up yeah. hearing, you uh-huh. know. Um, everybody, you know, as you grow up, some, you know, you always have a cousin or someone who's like, oh, you should check this out. Yeah. You have some kind of musical guide. And I can remember the first time my cousin Dennis gave me a mixtape. He was like, yo, this is what I'm listening to now. You got to check this out. And what was and, on it? Oh, man, good stuff. Uh, Craig Max Flavor in Your Ear was on it. Some early Red Man was on there. Uh, some Snoop Dogg remixes that yeah. I never heard. You know, just the kind of stuff that he will get from his homies. I'm like, yo, cuz, you got to hear this. Right. And when you say mixtape, are you talking about an actual tape? This was an actual yeah, cassette. cassette. Yeah. yeah. So this, yeah. Was, this, this, this was in the early 90s. Right. Uh, my cousin Dennis is about four years older than me. So he was always, he was on, he was to me like, oh, he's on the cutting edge. He knows yeah. all the new dope stuff. Yeah, totally. And so he would, you know, I would see him. He'd it's give, great he'd to give have me a, a, tape. Guy, a person like that. You got, you got to have that. Yeah. You know, at the same time, my sister, 
uh, is not a big hip hop fan, but she loved a lot of great R and B. You know, she introduced me to Janet Jackson and that kind right. of stuff, which is a whole other set of you know brilliant artists and brilliant producers. You know, Jim right. and Terry Lewis. <clears throat> so growing up with that kind of stuff being given to me really just kind of set my mind in that manner. Look at the people on the side. People on the dance floor, it's time to get live. Stop. Look at the people on the side. People on the dance floor, it's time to get live. Stop. Look at the people on the side and say, I really love this Karina No VIP. You have this like really oh, 80s man. vibe on yeah, that. Yeah, okay. And that was really interesting. Like you were talking earlier about like Janet Jackson and or or about not about Janet Jackson. You were talking about like different production stuff when you were first getting into music. Yes, you and, know, th- yeah. So that album is is a lot of that. That's al- that's uh that's an album called. Uh, we live in the future. Oh that, yeah, we live in the future. Yeah, so that's, that's all, got a lot of really interesting. It, it's in a different world than a lot of your other albums. That is my that's my pop record. That's what basically, I thought. Yeah. You know, and I kind of did it. And I was I was in a real happy zone. I was in good. Like literally, I just got married, and everything in my life was like you know, cruising pretty good. I'm not in the mood to make these, rap, these, these 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 mad angry rap songs right now. I want to do a little pop thing. So you know, I did that. Uh, Karina Karina's an artist, a fabulous artist I've been working with for a long time. We've got another one on there is a disco. We got a disco record on there, mm-hmm. and I wanted to just do a lot of different genres and just kind of do some good time music. Yeah, um, that record that, is fun. Yeah, that, that album. I wanted to do beats you could just vibe to and my, my, the concept was beats and hooks yeah you know there's not a lot of verses on there there's some here and there Album where the dude's trying to for show for show for show <laughs> is yeah. that on that record? Uh, yes, yeah, I love yeah. that. For show, for show is on that dude's record. Just trying to get with the just chick. Try it. Just try that. That's yeah. me singing on that record. Is that a yes? Hilarious. That is me. That's uh, great. The rare thing, but yeah, you know, just like nothing, um, nothing super serious on that record, but just kind of just more lighthearted dance stuff. I, that was that was me trying a different thing, you know. That's great. Hey, huh? Yeah. What? Come here, yo. Why? Do I know you? No, nah, but I'm saying though. Let me take you home. And then in the what? early in the nineties as I'm growing up and developing my own musical tastes, you know, I was lucky where that was a particularly great time in hip hop. Mm-hmm. You know? Um Yeah, it was. Yeah, like nine like ninety one to like ninety four, ninety five is kind mm-hmm. of what they really call, you know The Golden Age. The golden of era. Absolutely. You know, and so I grew up That's kinda of where my my hip hop education kinda of ended at the end of that, unfortunately. Because sure, I sure. sort of fell off it, but mm-hmm. I love so much of that stuff. You know, like being thirteen yeah. and hearing Nas or Biggie for the yeah. first time, you know, that's a formative point in yeah. your life already. And then to hear, to have the soundtrack of that being such great music, right. you know, really, really impacted me. Right, because anything you're going to hear at that point is going to, like, hit you in the 
balls or whatever. Yeah. Because it's your puberty or whatever. That's, that's, that, that, you're going through all these changes. Yeah. And that soundtrack of what right. you're hearing there, I think is very critical just for your personal self, just for sure. who you become. That oh, soundtrack yeah. has a lot of effect. Yeah. And so it's that stuff. And you're like, okay, this is it. I get it. Mm-hmm. I want to. And then, and then at some point you're like, I could try to do this like how did that work you're Uh, already playing music obviously i was playing music but then it was okay well now i want to make beats right know. and my uncle had uh, you know really when i was maybe nine or ten he'd given me a drum machine um but i wanted to now like i want to learn how to master it now i want to rap you know and i am i'm not a rapper but i in high school i i i I wanted to be Mm -hmm. Uh, i fancied myself an aspiring rapper um there are songs who no one will ever hear. Oh, really? My wife hasn't even heard them. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, there's definitely... <laughs> you recorded I, some stuff, but it's yeah, in the secret, I, I, secret vault. I recorded it. It's deep in the vault. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I went, I went down to Dave Mack's studio, and I was like, yo, teach me how to make this drum machine. Like, how do you make a beat? Mm-hmm. And he showed me, and I made some beats. And, I'm, and Dave Mack, at this point, had a drum machine because maybe because budgets were getting cut, and so he needed a drum machine or yeah, what? Yeah, <laughs> and, you know, he... He's he's older than me. Obviously, yeah. he's my uncle, but he's my mother's youngest right. brother. So he was he was sixteen when I was born. So he was kind of okay. so he was not a bit, too far outside your no, generation. not too yeah. far out and enough to be current with a lot of things. Right. Um, and he's a big big time Prince disciple. So. Oh, cool. Growing up, and then when we hit the '80s, Prince started experimenting with you know the Lindrum and all right. the all these drum machines. Yeah. And so my uncle's like, "All right, well, if it's good enough for Prince, then I gotta check it out." Oh yeah. So he started experimenting, getting into drum machines, yeah. and then I came of age. I'm like, I want to make beats. Yeah. You know, and so it was a bit of a transition for him. Like, okay, this isn't just a track that I'm gonna play some guitar with live instruments over. It's like you're making the whole thing. You just want to rap over this. This is this is this is the track. Right. And. You know, Does, did Dave Mack do any rapping, or he was just mostly into it for the beats, like for the? Um, I mean, he and... might rap here and there, um, but his, you know, for for his own music, he's he's generally singing for his original right. stuff, and then you know, if it's you know. We're doing the dance band event. You know, you got to also do top 40 stuff. Oh, so right, right. Maybe a little Nelly or some of this and that. And he would, and you know, and that's just part of the show. And he puts on the show. It's like, okay, well, you know, early 2000s, Nelly's Hot in Here was the biggest song in the world. Right. You know, went 12 times platinum or something. So wow. if you're playing clubs on a Friday night in downtown in the city, you got to play what people are are, are, are are wanting to hear. If not, they're going to replace you with a DJ. So, yeah. you know, it was that kind of lesson. It's like, all right, well, this is the job. And now we're not just going to play the songs that we love from childhood, but we also have to approach it from this professional standpoint of what do people want to yeah, hear? Of course. What's going to make them, what's going to make them move and therefore what's going to get us booked again. Right. So those kind of lessons that's when I started really understanding the duality of music's what you love and it's your hobby, but your hobby is also your job, and you right. there, there has to be give and take there between just saying, well, well, this is what I love, so forget everything else, and being a little more realistic about it. That's interesting. So it's kind of like always one ear to um, how can I survive and keep this, you know, viable. People, somebody's got to buy this. Somebody's got to pay for this at some right. point. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And. It's something even, you know, now I struggle with because I make very avant-garde, you know, yeah. you know, challenging, interesting hip-hop. Yeah. And I recognize it's not, it's not mainstream music. It's mm-hmm. not even intended to be yeah. mainstream. So it's not like I'm sitting here mad at, you know, 
future, the Migos for taking my spot. It's not, it's not, it's not about that. No, I don't go to church on Sunday. I don't memorize no script and no verse. I don't live inside a pew. I will leave that up to you. I got a different way to keep up my search. I don't study no books of the Bible. I never looked at my neighbor as a rival. I feel good about my plan when we walking hand in hand. I say that he don't need no title. The older I get, it's like, look, I will engineer any record for anybody mm -hmm. because engineering is essentially my day job. Mm -hmm. And... I'm freelance when the phone rings, I answer, and if I know how to record it or mix it, I'm gonna take the gig. Right. That's that's right. that's work. And I love making things sound good, so like that's cool. Mm -hmm. But when I sit down and I and I make something, especially if I'm making it for me, or someone says, Hey Willie Green, we want you to produce this this for the, we want you to produce this for us and bring what you bring to the table. Mm-hmm. I'm probably going to do some weird stuff. Yeah. And part of that's for me because I enjoy challenging art. Yeah. And there's plenty of art that's made for, I don't want to say the lowest common denominator, oh, yeah. but what's a more polite way to say No, I mean, you have <laughs> every right it, to say you that. Know, but Listen. I would say that yeah. most music is made for, for that audience and not made to be thoughtful and thought-provoking right. and... You know, that's fine. Everything doesn't have to be rocket science. Right. But some stuff has to be rocket science. New shit. New shit. Exclusive. 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 Yeah. Who's your idol? The dude in Bibles are suicidal. Got us liable to fire rifles off top the Eiffel as rivals are targets. And survival's a sign of the smartest, but his title's primal and probably find you inside a forest. I have to just like get into some of the stuff that I've been discovering in your repertoire lately. Like, uh, I love this June Classic. June Classic yeah. Stingray. That's like the, the track is crazy. I, I, I don't know how you, I mean, there's so much stuff, but. That's one example of like where how did that track get built? Like what is that sample? Is that something you found somewhere? Oh, uh, definitely something I've found off the top of my head. I don't remember what it is. Um, I found something. That's one. June Classic is an MC from Queens. Uh, phenomenal MC. Phenomenal guy. Just good-hearted, great, generous dude who mm -hmm. also wants to make good music. So okay. We've been talking. Uh, I met him through Billy Woods and we had been talking for a long time like yeah let's do something and he came by and I just played him some beats that I had um, you know that was back in the days where I might just sit and make five six beats a day right um, as my engineering career has picked up more that side of it I don't just sit and just make, don't beats. Sit and just make beats now it's like if someone wants something I'll custom make something for somebody well I'll that's interesting because that's exactly that's the next question I was going to ask I mean I, there's a bunch of people I want to ask you about that you work with but one question I want to ask is how, how the process works is there a beat and then somebody comes in and, and raps over it or is there like this is what I'm doing and then you're like oh let me make something for that how does it work it depends it, or? it depends on the artist yeah um People who I've worked with for a long time, um, people like Billy Woods and Prem Rock, they'll, you know, they know me and they know what kind of things I do best. So they might send me a sample. Yo, I heard this. I know you're the perfect one to flip this. You know, let me know what you do with it or something like that. Or I may talk to them and it's like, all right, well, we're doing this project, but what's going on with you? What's like, what's going on right. in your life? What is your mood? Like what's happening to you today, right. last week? What are you going to talk get, about? And, and, yeah. and, and, and get into it and find, find something to draw out of them right. instead of just handing them, sending them a folder of beats, uh, you know, through, through, through an email and be like, hey, pick something. Right. You know, that, 
it may occasion, you know, it's, it still happens. And that was more of my workflow back when I did the Stingray record with June Classic and older things. It's like, okay, I'm just cranking out beats and now I've got, you know, I made 20 beats this month. But even then, I'll sit, I'll sit and listen like, all right, who would sound good over right. this? And it gets to be this gut instinct thing where it's like, all right, nah, that wouldn't be for them. That wouldn't be for them. Ooh, that one. Yeah, you'd sound great over that. You'd sound great over that. Mm-hmm. The secret of rappers is they will never pick the beat that you think they will sound really? perfect over. They're like, I don't feel that. Like, Let me get something else. Yeah, what else do you have? Uh-huh. And then you go through everything. And you're like, yeah, I got this thing lying around. I don't really know if it's for you. And they're like, yo, that's the one. Uh, I know the games you play. But I don't know who you are. I know the games you play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't know who you are. I know the games you play. Uh, but I don't know who you are. I know the but games you have you so play. much unexpected, so many unexpected tricks up your sleeve. Like you have one track where it's like, um, it's like horn sections. It almost sounds like avant-garde, kind of like neat, new classical horn sections or something chopped up. Um, I'm trying to remember what, which one I'm thinking of and where it's just really not stuff you would even think of like that would be wrapped over or like some was it from, uh, from uh, Doc Savage? Yeah, I think it might be from I, Doc Savage. I, I know exactly yes, which it's, one. It's um, called The Feathered Octopus. Yes, I love that. Like, that one blew my mind. That's yeah. one of my favorite ones. Yeah. Um that one I remember I I I don't always give my sample sources away, but that one Okay, yeah, no, you don't no, have to. No, but <laughs> so but somebody somebody gave me a CD uh-huh. years and years ago. Uh, that was probably 10 years ago. They're like, "Yo, you'd really enjoy this." It was it was orchestral versions of various pop songs, and there was this one that really stood out to me and I was like, "Yo, yeah. that's the one." And I they there was still in the days where you would hand somebody a CD. Uh-huh. And so they gave me the CD. I ripped it and had it on my laptop. Uh, and it sat there for a while. And then I went on tour. Um, and uh, I was working this album uh, with my man Premrock called Premrock and Willie Green. You know, pretty straightforward. Yeah. Uh, and we were, we were in Europe. And we were in the Czech Republic. And we had an off day in this little tiny town called Domeschlitzen. Just really, literally in the middle of nowhere, like you wake up and you hear sheep buying. Yeah. I'm like, man, where the hell am I? Yeah. I came from Brooklyn. This is all. <laughs> this is the whole. This is a whole different thing for me. Yeah. And we had an off day, and I was just sitting there. And I was like, all right, well, might as well get you know make some beats, get a little working or whatever. And I opened up that 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 song. I was like, yo, this is really something. Lifted it up when y'all thought he was out. He was a scorpion. Started to panic and thought he should hide. He could have died. He could have lost. Bought him a mask, but what did it cost? I heard a bell, but they waved it off. Don't interfere with it. They getting tossed. Don't get involved when that brother is taking the sticks. Cause ain't nobody taking him off. So I made the basis of the beat. Like, I I love bold horns. I love big string yeah. sections. And that all comes from my background in, 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 the, in the classical and orchestral right. uh, uh, training. Right. Yeah. So I love those sounds, and they're also sounds that a lot of producers aren't necessarily messing with. Um, I feel like there's a certain amount of harmony and theory that you have to understand right. to start chopping that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Um, and you also just have to be exposed to it, and you know, it's 
not easy, but there's a lot of people who want to stay in this realm of, well, we're going to sample soul records, or right. maybe we'll sample rock records, but a lot of people are not really messing with classical records like right. that. Um, but it's something that I enjoy and I also have an understanding of. I can get in and, and understand. Uh, so that one was cool because I took that horn melody, but I chopped it, which, you know, I sliced up the sample and rearranged things. I could see that. I mean, but I could hear I that, also, but it works so well. I took pieces and pitch shifted them and created okay. new harmonies I and changed so. the melody to go yeah. along with it. Um, which is, you know, more extensive. Like you said, you than... have to have harmonic knowledge to know that. You have right. to know what's what goes into a song. And it's so clear to me, like, immediately as a musician, like, when that's happening. Now, I, I, I feel like this entire interview, like, I'm in danger of, like, being the dumbass white guy who doesn't know about hip-hop and no, you gotta says ask. something judgmental or whatever. This is, no, this, but, is how, this is how you... This but, how you, you know, out. it's like... Sometimes I I hear hip hop hop tracks and I'm like that sample doesn't is not in the same key as that you know whatever that yeah, other thing and I'm it like and it drives me nuts and it's usually the you know? ba- it's usually the bass <laughs> yeah because people want to make beats it's like well it's got you got to have that low end you got to have the big bass right yeah cool but the bass needs to be in tune in same, with the sample right. otherwise it's that's just how other it's just jarring and yeah. it's just low end rumble junk in the bottom because it's yeah. not clear and it's not right and that right. stuff matters it does matter it, it, and it, i think it the really tracks does. that really really work like that stuff people are listening to that stuff and it's making sense well it's i and mean it's, I no you're right and the thing is it matters more and more because a lot of a lot of modern hip-hop you know and i'm no expert in trap music which is a sub-genre of hip-hop yeah but Things have become so low end focused, where you may have one or maybe two melody pieces in right. the higher ranges, and then it's mostly just you know it might be some kind of sub bass, and you have all these eight oh eights going. Right, but a lot of pop music is going that way too, right? Or has been for the last like five or definitely 10 years, because right? at this point, yeah. hip hop influences everything. Every genre, yeah, you know what I mean, including like, country. I mean, you got Taylor Swift <laughs> rapping. Oh yeah, for Taylor sure. Swift was out here on the radio rapping. Yeah, that didn't she didn't come up with that? You right. know what I mean? Like that that came from somewhere. And sure, she's more pop than than country, right. and somebody else with more knowledge could argue that that delineation. But she comes from country roots, and yeah. there's still plenty of twang in a lot of her records. And she barely a little bit, yeah, you know. Yeah. But she's rapping. Well, and like the first song I would say that like struck me like that is um, Lord, you know, Royals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it's just a beat, and it's a really interesting production. But it's basically harm- vocal harmonies and a beat, right? Yeah, and maybe a little bit of something else. I forget a melody, but so so minimal. Yeah, and that's got to come from hip hop. Absolutely, I mean, you, know? you know, and the sounds, you know, that whole yeah. album, and I love that album. Yeah, and it's definitely a, it's the whole album is really a lesson in kind of sparse, minimal. Yes. You know, but right. very large production. Right. You know, from how it was conceived to how it was mixed, everything is right. very particular like that. But the patterns and, you know, a lot of that stuff is programmed drums and just the feel of it mm-hmm. comes from a hip hop uh, um, ground base, basically. You totally. know what I mean? Like, it, it, like that, that, is, that is where it's originating. So your stuff just sounds different to me. Like, there's always, there's a different palette of. of of samples one thing i wanted to ask you about is you know you you said hey somebody throws you a record and said i have this sample what are you going to do with it Mm -hmm. well how do you clear stuff like in this day and age like what's the licensing you know situation with stuff obviously we're not in like the early 90s where everything was free everyone grabbed everything you know it's it's, it's not that anymore yeah um 
but it's also not the early 2000s. Right. You know, there's kind of, it's like a watershed moment that yeah. everyone kind of kind of talks about. And right. I don't fully give this person all the blame, uh-huh. but uh, Diddy kind of messed up the game for everyone when oh, yeah. he did. And it was, I don't give him all the blame because I understand the minds that was, be- that was behind it. After Biggie died, um, Bad Boy did this tribute album. And yeah. Then, Bunch of songs, but one of them, and the most popular one was when Diddy you he sampled uh, "Every Breath You Take," right? And but he didn't really sample it; he just looped like eight or sixteen bars, and right. then did no, some, I remember that. Yeah, I mean, and, but and, it's and the it's song. Some, I mean, you can't not recognize it. It's it's the freaking song. It's the whole damn song. I know, and and I was like, I remember when I first heard that, I was so fucking annoyed. I was like, seriously, dude, like you're gonna use that whole song just. It was just the laziest. Yeah. And, you know, I don't, look, I don't want to knock, like, he a memorial for song for somebody's what? friend. But oh, that was a, it was, a it, Biggie. It, it, it was, it was, it was, oh, right. the, it was the tribute to Biggie. It was the symbol, it was the single off the tribute album. It was okay. a huge single, but it really But was, did he get permission from Sting or whatever? I'm sure he did. Yeah. But it's like, all right, bro, well, you just, you just took eight bars of this did some real mediocre raps over it, I put know. it out, and it just kind of changed the game for everyone. It it, was, it, what it did is it alienated people who might not know very much about hip hop and be like, right. seriously, this is the best you can do? Right. You know? You know, <laughs> but that leads to it, 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 lead, it leads to, to a thing, but we'll get, we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll get there in a second because yeah. also in the late 90s, there was another big landmark uh, sample case that really, really changed the game for a lot of people. And that was uh, with uh, there's a rapper named Pharaoh Monch. Uh, okay. He did a song called Simon Says. Okay. Uh, and he was on this label called Raucous Records, which at the time was one of the biggest and most impactful indie hip hop labels. Um, but on this particular record, they sampled the theme from Godzilla. Okay. And the movie company sued the shit out of them. Yeah. Basically put Raucous. Out of business. Yeah, Raucous is basically out of business because of the battle over the sample from the Godzilla record. Right. You know, and they eventually settled, but after they settled, they're like, all right, well, we're closing up shop. You know, and that beat still, like, when you see, when you hear Simon Says, you know, it's like, it's super hype. It's such a dope song. Everything about it is so like, when you see it live or DJ throws on the club, like, the the temperature in the club changes. Uh Uh-huh. But it also was a landmark change in how people were were addressing samples. Yeah. Um, nowadays, frankly, I'm lucky that I'm signed to a label that handle handles a lot of this stuff. So okay, um, what label? Oh, they're called Backwoods Studios. Okay. Uh, based here out of Brooklyn. Um, cool. So, uh, I don't really deal with that stuff between the label okay. and my management. Um, That's but, great. So it's like stuff has to be cleared or whatever. Stuff some, has to be cleared, yeah. you know, and it's, I, a lot of the stuff I, I sample, and just because of the nature of the game, I've been sampling less and less yeah. uh, in the past few years. Like my Doc Savage album for, from a couple years ago has some samples on it. Yeah. It's also about 50-50. There's a lot of stuff there that I composed and I wrote and then... 
what I'll do is I'll mix something to sound mm-hmm. like a sample, and I might take that and then go and chop that. That's great. And so sample myself. Right. Because there's something about that. And the way I look at the whole sampling thing is it's it's a collage. It's an right. audio collage. Yeah. You, you know, and you take something, you chop it up into somewhat recognizable bits. Right. And you reorder them, and you've got something new. Mm-hmm. And there's there are collages hanging in the, in the Smithsonian. Yeah, so of course. collages. It's are a work art, of art uh, for sure. Then sampling is just the audio I mean, side of that. I just went and saw the um, Andy Warhol exhibit. You know, with mm-hmm. my kids. Mm-hmm. What's he doing? You know, he's sample. He's he's taking photographs that exist in the world, and he's re. You know, reimagining, re- reimagining, them, re- them. remixing them, re-imagining creating forever. something new, yeah. a new perspective on it, and that to me is what sampling sure. is. Like sampling is art. Yeah, what is not artistic. Is mm-hmm. taking eight bars of a hit record, right, and just rapping over right. that. That's not an artistic expression, right. And I like just from an art standpoint, I have a problem with that, right. But what happens is, and you know, you said you talk politics on this podcast. So, oh, I do. So, so, so we're gonna, gonna so we're yeah. gonna get there. Is that you know, hip hop is not afforded the same amount of nuance when. You know, like observational nuance, like from outsiders yeah. and people, um, the other the other Hard genres are, yeah. are, are, are are looked at. You know, Diddy does one thing. He's one guy. And yes, he's very famous and yeah. super influential, especially in that era. But just because one asshole puts out a very weak song does not mean that. All the rest of the genre is all doing exactly. This it's the same shit lip. in every genre of music. You could say the same shit about heavy metal, or, yeah, or or indie, or, or whatever. There's like there's people who are kind of phoning it in and doing lame ass shit, right. In every genre, and then to discount an entire genre because that's all you've heard, right? Is it, really sad. Exactly. Yeah, and you know people. People treat black people as a monolith where it's like, okay, well, Jesse Jackson said this. So you all feel that way. Right. Look, I don't know Jesse Jackson. Right. I don't necessarily have to agree with them just because we both have a similar skin tone. But right. that's how black people are generally treated in America. Right. So I'm a hip hop producer, but just because Puffy did some whack shit 20 years ago <laughs> does not mean that me sampling today or five years ago, or five years from now has Anything to do with that. Right. I don't know Puffy. I wasn't in the room <laughs> when he made that song. I had no input on that. So why should that have impact on how people view my music? Well, I think the good thing about how how much commercial success hip-hop has achieved mm-hmm. is that it is making everybody listen to it and everybody's doing it. And it's gotten to be a huge, like, cultural, like, giant, you know, of our of our world, right? Yeah. So that means that... Maybe people are willing to like give it a little bit more of a, you know, more uh, nuanced listen nowadays. I think so. I <laughs> yeah. hope so. Um, you know, I mean, that's part of why we're here today. That's why we're you here know, today. I sent you some stuff and you checked it out and you gave a nuanced listen and you're like, yo, okay, there's different stuff here. I want to know more. I've been listening to hip hop all along. My thing, I love humor in every kind of music. Yeah. So that, that's what grabs me. Mm-hmm. So if something's funny, like to me, the funniest shit I heard in like, whenever it was 89 was like nwa mm-hmm. i was in love with that record like with yeah. ice cube and like because in in between the lines like as dark and fucked up and violent as they were it was cracking me up yeah you know what there's i mean humor. he's like a comedian there, to me there's the, yeah there's humor in that stuff i think yeah. you know 
I think the it's hard to just write about tragedy right. and keep it compelling because at some point someone's be like, damn, okay, yeah. you got a real shitty situation, but yeah. I just can't hear about it all day, you know. But you you got to you got to temper some of that. Um, but no, but that said, the the main kind of the situation is tragic. Like what's right. going on right, right now with like this fucking mess that we've made in America Mm -hmm. with like race relations and it sucks like it's I was actually really thinking about this on my way over here I was thinking you know um it really sucks for everyone how much we fucked up in this country because it actually sucks obviously it sucks for black people people of color because they've been you know victimized and you know we all know the story Mm -hmm. but for white people I don't want to sound like a victim or something but I didn't choose to have my fucking ancestors do this horrible bullshit sure you know and so now i have two choices i can either um i can either be like a paranoid racist who's trying to like protect his little vestige of power that he has or i can have empathy and try to fix the problem both of them are kind of a bummer both of those situations suck because i didn't make this mess you know what i'm saying yeah and i'm not saying oh poor me poor fucking white guy but i'm just saying it's a really tough tradition that we've built into this country and so to have some tragedy in hip-hop i understand why it's there Mm -hmm. because the situation is pretty fucking tragic right (laughs) you know what i mean nwa was such was 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 so groundbreaking because you know at that time like i mean that was really you had some earlier what we would now call really in hindsight because these people don't necessarily exist except for a few exceptions nowadays, but gangster rappers. Yeah, exactly. You know, they really brought that to the forefront. Before them, you had Ice-T. Everyone, you know, oh, Ice-T, guy from SVU. No, Ice-T was like the original gangster rapper. Like, OG Ice-T records are intense. And it's like, oh, we had no idea because people didn't know. And this is pre-internet. Yeah. You know, really early stages of cable television right. where people just had no idea of what was going on in places that they didn't frequent. And Exactly. You know, people, it was a message in a bottle, sorry. Yeah. To no, no, word. absolutely. But it was like this is a little, you know, uh, outpost from the from the somewhere you've never been. Right. Communication back in the pre-internet days was more was much slower and more complicated. We you take to, that for granted now. We don't think about it. I mean, it. I'm a little older than you, so I, I remember it very well. You had to go to a record store and dig through records and be like, what is this? Or find a magazine or yeah. some older kid had a cool you know record that you had to hear about or something. Something, you, you know, or you had a cousin who hands you a mixtape or something like that. It was, it was word of mouth, and you also took a chance on more music. Oh, yeah. You go to the record store and might be like, okay, I don't know what this is. I got a little extra dough in my pocket. Yeah. I'm going to buy it. That cover's dope. Exactly. I've heard of this art, this artist before. Someone told me they're good. I'm just gonna buy you know, this I CD still do that. and I'm gonna give it a chance. <laughs> I still do that with record with vinyl, you, just because you're a saint. Not no, too many I'm a people sucker. Do. I'm a sucker. But oh, and also you can always resell stuff if it's truly True. horrible. True. True. <laughs> but, yeah. You know. But, now uh, and now it's. I'm like, just oh, trained well, that way. That's just the way I was. I was like, what is this? Let me check it out. You could easily go if you spent. 20 seconds on your phone while you're at the record store and you like you could like Spotify that thing and be like oh that sucks but I just kind of want to do the thing of like buy it go home put it on the turntable and see if it's well, any good but that experience right there yeah. the difference between those two ways of checking out new yeah. music I think says a lot because if you just check on your phone you listen for 20 seconds yeah. you make a snap judgment on something that you yeah. don't really know you don't have any background on right. it. and 20 seconds you know 
Everybody thinks they're an A and R. It's like, well, exactly. that shit doesn't catch me in twenty seconds. I'm throwing it out. <laughs> exactly. You don't know anything about A and Ring anybody's record. You know, like, like just because you're on the internet and you have an opinion does not make you all of a sudden an armchair A and R. Exactly. You know, there's stuff that goes into that. But when you commit and you say, okay, I'm gonna buy this album and check yeah. it out, you're gonna listen to the whole thing at least once. Oh yeah. And there are artists that I work with now. You know, uh, actually, I would say a large part of my current career is based on me taking that chance and doing that uh, about, I don't know, 13 years ago, something like that. Uh, there was a group called Supercron Flight Brothers. Yeah. Um, half of which is Billy Woods, who's okay. an artist I work with a lot now. Mm-hmm. Um, very much at the forefront of this avant-garde thing that we call art rap. Oh, cool. Um, and super challenging music, brilliant guy. And I... Saw mention of this album on on a internet forum, and I went to the record store. I was like, "Hey, I got a couple extra bucks in my pocket. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna buy this album called Emergency Powers because it's a dope name. Super okay. Crown Flight Brothers is a funny name. I put it on, and I fucking hated it the first time I listened. <laughs> I was like, I but just, you had it. It was sitting in. But your... I had it. Yeah. So you had to give it another chance. And first. I gave another chance. And number thirty-seven gentrification lane. Way words went. They laugh when they say your name on the courthouse rolls. Scrolls and those who can't bang. Evicted on birthdays and anniversaries. My little ghetto kids to hippo men are the scary ones. And I see a rat motherfucker out. Man, I'm not playing with you. You better come up there and fix this shit, man. The window won't even close properly. Man, I can't even lock my shit. Even the second time, I still didn't really get it. And the the woman I was dating at the time was like, "Yo, put that on one more time. I like this. I, li- I like that Rent Control song." Okay. Um, there was a song that was on there that uh, was called Rent Control. It was just about that. They did. They do. And Wood still does very observational, um, observational rap and really. You know, discusses the day-to-day of being a, at that time, semi-pro rapper. Like, okay, well, you know, this is what it is, but this is, you know, these are challenges I face. I have issues with my landlord. The heat's not on. X, Y, and Z. And we'll write just some true stuff. And people talk about, oh, we want to hear that real shit. None of that usually involves fancy cars and jewels. That is exactly. not, this is just, you know, the mainstream is a very small slice of the overall musical landscape in all genres and whatever those people are perpetuating is generally not what your average musician is going through exactly but people will see that like well that's what rap's about well you're looking at it through this monolithic lens again no i went back and i listened to the supercon album again and it clicked that time and i was like oh i get it all right, Woods, he's not rapping off beat. He's rapping around the beat. He's stretching and compressing and challenging. And this is about the words that he's saying more than about just the flow, the rhythm that he's rapping to. Uh, and then six months later, I moved to New York. Oh, okay. And the you first were in thing, Connecticut. At, that uh, at that time, I was in Boston. Okay. I, um, I went to Berkeley College of Music oh, and graduated, right. and then I hung out around for there. For drumming? or uh, for I thought I was going to go be a drummer, Yeah. and then I realized when I got there, oh, I was a big fish in a small pond, Yeah. and a lot of these drummers are really outrageous, fit, really outrageous yeah. and okay, now what do I do? Yeah. Um, but I spent so much time in my uncle's studio, I was like, oh, well, maybe I'll look into the studio route. Oh, nice. And so you have to apply for the recording major there, so wow. I applied and I got in, and since then it has been off and running and wow. focused on the studio thing. Very cool. Um, so I had a studio in Boston for a while, but I came down to New York for a different studio job. And the, but the first thing I did is I want to reach out to Backwood Studios. I want to work with Supercron Flight Brothers. Yeah. And 
they were the first artists I reached out to, moved to New York, and I still work with Woods to this day. We're working on a new project right now. And over the last decade, knowing him and working with him has expanded my, my, my musical horizons and also brought me into this world, this art rap world of really dense and challenging and critical and rewarding music. Welcome back to Everything's Fine, the only game show where there's only one answer to everything. Time to meet our contestants. Let's welcome back last week's champion, Frank. Frank is currently flying high on every drug imaginable just to cope with the day-to-day stresses of surviving in modern times. How are you doing, Frank? Everything's fine. I love this Jean Grey and Quelly yes. Chris. Yeah, Jean, yeah. Those guys. They're actually, they're, they're, they're a married couple. They're amazing. Uh, I yes, love them. They're great. Jean's oh. been around for a long a time. Master's degree in fine arts and has been unemployed for 15 years. Jess, you look great, but more importantly, how you doing today? Everything's fine. Okie dokies. Yeah, they're awesome. I love them. They're very funny but also just oh like amazing but you just said something that's really interesting and i always wonder about this <laughs> wrapping around the beat so mm-hmm. it's confusing to me because i i don't understand if it's on purpose or if it's some people just can't find the beat or what so i know it's like such a stupid thing to ask but like do some people just can't find the beat or is everyone just wrapping around it on purpose as a statement like you would if you were a you know a trumpet player playing behind and in front of the beat as a jazz player? There's a very thin line here. Yeah. Um, there are some people who just can't catch the beat. <laughs> so what about fucking Kanye? Can he find the beat or is he just doing it on purpose? That is excellent. <laughs> what the there, hell? there are times where it's like, okay, I see how you're rapping over yeah, this. Yeah. There are times I'm like, oh man. Dude. What were you on when you did that? Yeah. But that's I mean, especially more Kanye's later work. That's yeah. kinda how I'm like, dog, what were you doing <laughs> when you did that? You know? Okay. Um there was, but it was kind of through. But ways, but then like, you hear stuff and you know he can rap and he can rap his ass off. So right. you're like, he can do it. If so it, it's probably a choice. Well, that's the thing. If yeah. it's a choice, yeah. if it's a conscious choice, then I'm on board with it because right. it's like one trumpet player versus another. And you're, yeah. You know, you might be playing, one might be playing bebop, one might be playing yeah. some free shit. And yeah. it's like, okay, these are musical choices. Totally. Exactly. But then there's times where, I mean, and just like any art form, you can tell when someone's jiving. I know, right? You can tell where it's like, uh, you but, sound you sound unsure. You sound like you're a little lost on there. But there's a big really difference just... between you saying that and me saying that. Well, sure. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? You know, I'm, but, it sounds a lot better when you say it. But that difference is <laughs> I just not, sound like a dick. No, but that difference isn't white or black. That okay. difference is I'm a hip-hop vocal producer. Right. And so... Right. That's but I'm a musician, so I'm a singer. Well, right. I'm, a, I'm a you know. But you, you, yeah, you, you, so you, I know what it means to like be on a beat. Right, you I know, you know, you know where the beat is. You understand yeah. pocket. Yeah. You know, you're a musician and you're a human being with opinions, and that's cool. <laughs> you know, like that's so funny. Like that's that's important, yeah. and especially you know, it gets they're kind of gray areas when it gets to things that are specifically black music right you know uh whether it's blues whether it's jazz you know there are things that you know we need to be sensitive about them because the things like rock and roll that really got ripped away from black artists and turned into something else absolutely you know there's examples of that yeah um and because of how that happened you know, and also there are people who say things that happen with jazz to a certain degree, although I don't know if I completely agree. Like, Kenny G sure. is not the bellwether of modern jazz. So, like, that, you know, like, 
Right. Yeah. Jazz isn't like all of a sudden a white thing. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And I, I've heard people say that, and that I don't necessarily agree with. Yeah. Um, I think it's important to honor the roots of any art form. Absolutely. Um, just for a respect, a respect standpoint, and just from an artistic standpoint, you're not creating if you have zero idea of what happened in the past. Absolutely. And you know, I. I guess the, as I said that, I was like, well, one could say then you're creating most freely if you're not weighing that, being weighed down by any influences. It's really but interesting. There is, a, there is a fine line, though, because, like, for instance, I drag my seven-year-old twins or six-year-old twins into my recording studio mm-hmm. and give them instruments and let them rip. I find that it blows my mind, like, where their minds go. So there is something to that. Like, naivete and, like, like creativity in a without any outside influence can be really amazing. I yeah. yeah. I, I I think it's important and that is the most liberating thing. The more I learn, mm-hmm. the more I learn, the more I sometimes feel constricted by the new rules that I've learned. Yeah. Where if you don't know the rules, you're just breaking all of them. Exactly. So your musical experience comes from, you know, really like knowing what you're doing. You know music. Mm-hmm. Are there producers out there who maybe don't know music and would be better off if they knew it again sounds like a terrible question no like hip-hop producers there's there's a lot of debate on that yeah you know i think that there are plenty who have not had that formal training yeah and are super dope despite that or possibly because of it. right because the techniques that they have developed for themselves just like okay i know what sound i want to hear yep I got to do some shit. I don't really know what this, do- I don't know what this knob does, but when I turn it, it gets it to close to where I want to be and mm-hmm. tweaking and getting there. And then all of a sudden you created the sound that is natural, organic to you and it's, it's yeah. creation. Exactly. And it's despite the rules that other people know, I think that that creation is critical because it, it prevents music from just being elitist like i was very lucky to be able to go to to be able to go to to berkeley right and i mean you know i'm still paying loans as many of us are or whatever yeah. but it was an opportunity that i had that not everybody does have right. i don't take that for granted yeah but that's not the only way to make music oh of course not um you know the flip side of that i mean is, from my world or from a different world like i know a lot of berkeley like guitarists or something i've met i can't play with those guys because they're just shredding or they're they're stuck in a world that I can't even access. They don't know anything about a song. You right. know what I mean? You can get yeah. so you can get so deep in the and so and, deep and, up your own ass. Yeah, and being <laughs> so technical, it's like, all right, that's great. You just pay, play through all these different modes or right. whatever. But where's where's the soul? Where's the soul? Yeah. Where's the hook? What is catching me to make get that little heart flutter that you yeah. get when you hear something that you love? Yeah. What's giving me that? Because I don't know anything about these modes. So you're just playing over my head now just mm-hmm. for the sake of playing. Yeah. And there's value in that because there's value to proficiency. But if you just want me to throw that song on and jam, I'm not going to be able to do that. Right. You know, and it's it's very possible to compose right over people's heads. And, that's, yeah. you know, it's a different challenge. But that's where that sweet spot of doing something complex but still catchy and hooky, when you find that sweet spot, then you're really doing something. You're challenging music wise but you're also rewarding with just that natural with with, with that soul which yeah. is what people grab onto in music right. so yeah. you're going to do a track now uh live from doc savage um 
Um, explain a little bit what it's called. And yeah, so this is called the Man of Bronze, um, and it features uh, you know again I don't rap, I'm awful. So, but I've got a long reach and a lot of great uh, great MCs and singers. So this features Henry Canyons uh, and Googie, uh, and then uh, some sung vocals by Amy Lee Richards and. Uh, I'll Let's play it, hear it and we'll talk and about then, it. And then we'll talk about it. It's a real Sounds interesting song. Sounds good. that was the man of bronze so one person who i've connected a lot from the stuff i've listened to is henry canyons i was really uh, intrigued by him he's a french guy 
Yeah, Henry. Henry's brilliant. Henry, Henry's super brilliant. Uh, well, I want to hear all about the song too, and and what kind of what it brings up for you, because uh, my my mission on this podcast is to get people to kind of talk, dig into politics. It's a lot easier with you because everything's kind of political. <laughs> yeah, this song is actually low key one of the more political uh, songs yeah. on the Doc Savage album. Um, I'll give a, just a little background on how I did that album because it plays into how this song was composed. Cool. Uh, so with that album, I was inspired by Doc Savage, the Pulp Fiction uh, character. I'm a big sci-fi and comic book fan. Um, invented in the 30s, and my father-in-law gave me his series of books from reprints from the 50s and 60s. I just love the color, the covers. I love the name. So each name on the album, each song title, is the name of a Doc Savage novel. Wow. So um, Doc Savage was a writer of Pulp Fiction. No, he was he, he was a character. He was a character. He was okay. a character. And oh, so wow. all 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 the all the uh all the books had these super flowery names like yeah. the Thousand-Headed Man, uh okay. the Magi and the Man of Bronze. And the Man of Bronze was uh is another name that Doc Savage went by and he was he was this I, this ideal man like super brilliant, super super smart, all this kind of stuff and I was just really I love retro. I love old. Like I love retro future things where it's like, okay, in the '30s they're talking about, well, we'll have wristwatch communicators right. and video screens, or you can, and it's like, okay, well, I've got an Apple Watch, and yeah. you know, I've it got a, you know all this stuff that we see now, and it's just fascinating what people almost a hundred years ago thought that today was going to look like. I know. I find that just a really fascinating oh, thing. Oh sure. Um, but what I did is I, I made the beats mm-hmm. and I titled them. With one of the names, like basically whatever it kind of felt like to me, I'm making the beat. It's like, oh, that feels like this book title name. It just kind of uh, vibes that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one, I had the hook in there and I was like, okay, I see where I want this to be. So I reached out to Henry and to Googie uh, to rap on this. And I reached out to Henry first. And the whole, the way I did for the entire album, everyone reached out to, I was like, here's the beat, here's the song title. It can be what. Whatever you want it to be, whatever you want to rap about is mm. fine. It has to be about something, you know, no imaginary haters or any of this kind of stuff. It has to be topical. Mm-hmm. It has to be about something and go. Wow. And Henry decided to write his verses are actually a true story. They're the story of his grandfather escaping France at wow. the beginning of World War Two, yeah. escaping to Brazil. To Brazil, yeah. Right. I, I heard so that. So that is that's all Henry's wow. grandfather's true story. Why did he go to Brazil? It was a safe place. Was he for, Jewish or something? Yes. Okay. Yeah, he, it was a safe place for Jewish refugees. Yeah. So the first verse is about him leaving Henry's grandmother, leaving his wife yeah. there so he could go to Brazil, generate, you know, like come up with a safe a safe home and then bring the rest of the family Amazing. over. Amazing. So he was this, you know, this refugee escaping from this war. And so Henry told me, that, okay, well, this is my concept. I also told him because the sample on the record and then therefore the hook is all in French. Yes. And... It's I, like ip ip ura something. Yeah. Uh, so it's hip hip hooray for yeah. the for, for the hero. Uh, my French is awful. I won't okay. offend anybody by trying. I was trying to, to figure out. It's like ip ip ura for the hero. Oh, got yeah. it. Okay. So, um, cool. So I was like, okay, well, I have I already have this hook, and I'm already I'm already pushing the limits. And the label's like, oh, so you want to do this song with a hook in French, huh? And I'm like, yes, yeah. that's what the fuck I want to do. <laughs> and I want to put Henry on it, and I want Henry to rhyme in French too. And they're like, okay, word. So I called Henry. I was like, this is what I want to do. I want you to rhyme in French, whatever you want to, whatever you want to talk about. And he was like, yo, this is my idea. 
Are you cool with that? And I'm like, all right, cool. But then this is the only song on the album where I told any of the artists what to write about. Mm -hmm. I called Googie, who's the other MC on there, and I was like, look, so Hank is doing this thing writing about his grandfather escaping World War II. Mm -hmm. I want you to write your verses from the perspective of a runaway slave. And I want to draw this parallel here. It gave me chills, man, when I heard it, because it's connected. The emotional reality of it is the same for both, even though they're completely two different That's experiences exactly a hundred yeah. years apart yeah two different experiences yeah different sides of the world and right. what we look at as separate people black and white you mm-hmm. know the english and non-english speaking whatever we we draw these lines yeah but there's so many more commonalities between people than differences right if you look at it and this is the same the same concept of I'm escaping this danger so I can go set something up for my family to be together to, to be better and safe and then bring them so I uh, you know I was like I know this is kind of a it's kind of a hard subject to write about and on this big blaring beat but that's where I want to go and Googie was like I got you absolutely got it and you know henry recorded his in, in in la so he sent it over to me and then googie came in he was like okay i'm on it we kind of put this thing together mm. but it fits so it fits so well together that they're actually doing an album together now oh cool after this, th- th- this i believe was their first collab and then they're like oh man this works real well yeah so googie was on henry's last album and now they're doing a project together oh, cool so it all so it all kind of blends but i wanted to I wanted to really kind of push it, you know, like I, I had this beat. I'm like, I know this beat bangs. You put on this in the club and everybody, you know, everybody would feel it. Yeah. But then if you really listen to it, there's a lot more involved in this. And then the fact that it is true stories and it's actual Henry's actual family life story is just a phenomenal thing. It's amazing. Um, and so to be able to put that together, for me, that's rewarding. Like, I don't need to rap if I can create the environment for someone to be able to write these kind of songs, mm-hmm. that's my job. Yeah. That's production, is creating the right environment for these things to become to, to come alive. Also, the fact that this this story is being told right now, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure when this came out, but the fact that, you know, now where there's so much uh, racism and, and, you know, you're not the real American or you don't belong here or this mm-hmm. person's here, was here first. And it's like everybody, if you go further back, far back enough, Everyone's got an immigrant reality that they Absolutely. had to, you know, get here or they were the hated ones or they were chased or they were. It's just crazy that now we have these knuckleheads who are trying to claim to be the, you know, the ones that belong here and everybody else doesn't or whatever. This country, you know, and plenty of dark history about it, but is a, is a country of immigrants. Yeah. So to now show such hatred towards immigrants, it's like. It's self-hatred is what it is. Because you're all it, it, it is the people who are hating are immigrants yeah. at some point, and know? it's like the willful ignorance to draw that line in your head where it's yeah. like, no, they're an immigrant, they're a bad immigrant. My ancestors were good immigrants, right. and so I deserve like just the I, I I don't understand how you can live with that much hypocrisy and look yourself in the mirror like it's really you bizarre. know you gotta know the lies that you're telling. It's fear right? is what it is. I would, I, I would hope. Some people just straight up know the lies they're telling, like the politicians who are just, you know, using it to, to maintain power. Mm-hmm. And then they're feeding the lies to terrified people who have no idea who to blame for whatever their problems might be. They want someone to blame. They need somebody to blame. Yeah. yeah. And so they got it. It's so easy to just point at that person and this guy and these people are taking my jobs and this person, you know, all this bullshit. But um, I I was really I really connect with um, Henry uh, uh, Canyons because he's a French dude Canyon, mm-hmm. 
and it's fun to hear someone rap in French. And I and I do this project where I sing the songs of this French guy, and I sing them in English, and I translate back and forth. And mm. I love uh, really tight rhymes, and it's just really fun to hear. I think French sounds really good in hip hop, actually. Yeah. So um, that was cool that you uh, turned me on to that guy. But I also just find it really exciting that so many of your artists are willing to, you know, just tell stories that are or just go into subject matter that's fucking real and pissed off and you know revolutionary and yeah shit has to change you know <laughs> yeah it's it's important to have that kind of music yeah music has become so much either just like disposable like soundtrack to a night at the club yeah or, you know every because of the shortening and shortening and shortening attention spans and so much media there's so many things flashing all the time music i find has really taken a back seat for a lot of listeners mm -hmm. where it's just disposable background music but there's still there's still a contingent of people who like music you sit down you put on your headphones and you focus in and you live in that world yeah and that's the kind of listener I am and that's the kind of listener I want to make music for and I understand that's not your average listener anymore but I'd rather I'd rather a hundred interested people get something out of my music than a thousand non-interested people just throw it on in the background. I know it's idealistic and not how this music industry works, but I guess that's why I make indie records, you know? Yeah. Like, I'm lucky in that I make the music that I listen to. Yeah. And that's a rare, rare opportunity that I don't, I don't at all take for granted. Well, and besides making um, interesting music that... Uh that you want to listen to and that people find interesting. Do you think there's a larger kind of mission that can happen if you make thoughtful music like this, that, you know, is saying something, speaking truth to power kind of thing? I, I would like to think so. Right. There is, the older I get, the more skeptical I get right. that, uh, that people will awaken from hearing new things, you right. know, kind of like, look, you know, in a lot of ways, we may be preaching to the choir with right. some of this stuff, but the choir still needs to be preached to. Right. You don't just leave the choir just because they get it doesn't mean you leave the choir out. Right. You know, you gotta. The choir needs some fortification these days, man. We exactly. get beat up. Yeah. <laughs> the choir's tired. Exactly. The choir is burnt out. Yeah. And it's it's a pleasant reaffirmation when you hear somebody say something. It's like, yo. I like, feel the same way. Yeah. I feel that. Yeah. You know, I can respond to that. Right. Like, I can't respond to Gucci, 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 Gucci. Right. I can't respond to one Gucci, never mind seven or eight, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I feel like any song an artist makes, and certainly an album, mm -hmm. you should be able to know at least a little bit more about that person through listening to it. You know, when you look at someone's Instagram feed, they don't put up the bad shit that happened right. on that day. They don't put up the hard times that they're going through. They don't put up that their grandmother died and that they're going through it. Mm -hmm. No, they put up what they had at brunch. Of course. But their music is where they share... What they really feel. Who That's they what it seems are. Like. Yeah. Ideally, well, and but th those are my favorite artists, at least, yeah. who let you into their life through their music. Because what goes online is just going to be whatever. You so, know? besides... Making music that has a you know a lot to say. Is there are there other things that you like to like? Do you vote or you do you feel like you have you know a, a stake yeah. in what's going on politically yes. uh, I these vote, days? I, I try to I try to keep up. Um, I've got I've gone through the phases of you know especially 
like, particularly with this president, uh, elected, okay, everything sucks. Okay, no, now I'm mad and I'm doing this. Now I'm burnt out, mm-hmm. you know, and staying. It's hard to stay consistent with the news cycle. Oh, God, it's impossible. It's because exhausting. Every day there's some new bullshit. Yeah. It's all exhausting. Yeah. And. And it's surreal. It's kind of a surreal reality we're living where, like, this one dude doesn't seem to have any consequences for any of the actions that he does. Yeah. This just this one guy for some reason they picked him. They're like he's just gonna be able to do whatever the fuck, say whatever the fuck anytime, and we'll never have. If you were like the manager of a McDonald's and you did one tenth the shit he did, I mean, it's like in a second you'd be out on your ass. Not to mention, say you're the you know the CEO of like Microsoft or some shit, you'd be out so fast. But the leader of our country having no accountability—it's unbelievable. Is 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 nuts. It's just a fucking. Daily mind fuck is yeah. what it is. It, it really yeah. is. And it got to the point, you know, you yeah. get up in the morning, yeah. I would listen to the news every morning, and it's like, damn, I can't start my day off with all this bullshit no, like it's this. Too much. Because it, it, it just puts me in that zone. I'm yeah. leaving my house mad at the world. That's, yeah, exactly. Like, that's no way to start your day. Right. But you can't not stay informed because when you stop listening to him, that's when he goes and tries to sneak some bullshit through. Yeah. But it's just, I don't know. I'm a big believer just in like, in, in common sense, which mm-hmm. sounds like common sense, but it's not because at some point someone's gonna be like, "Yo, man, we're not keeping the Mongols out in like, like fifty A.D. Like, <laughs> the wall is is not proven technology no, anymore. It's we ridiculous. Li- we live in we live in the freaking future. The thing that pisses me off is all the other guys that should know better. Clearly, like this orange asshole who's running things isn't moron like he doesn't he's not right in the head but the, all the other guys the grown-ups around him who are pretending that this is normal yeah there's they have no excuse no there's no there's, excuse there's no excuse there's there's no there's you can't you cannot defend oh well i mean we're just not going to believe in science no there's no way that right. the climate is changing yo the climate is changing you're science you're a scientist that you hired are telling you this yeah. and then you're right. going to come back and be like no it's not true you don't get to pick and choose which science you believe in science is science pr pressure podcast brought to you by static electricity typically produced by friction one more thing i want to ask you about is uh some of what do you think about like this kind of trend of like silly rapper, like silly white guys rapping. I, I'm trying to think of some specific uh, people. I've got, I've, yeah, I, I got a list, you know. You your, got a list, your, yeah. Your Takashi 6 ix 9 yeah. and your Post Malone's and, right. and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I'm going to get on my, get off my lawn uh, perks here for a second. Okay. I, I mean, look, I'm, I'm in the range of 40. I'm almost 40 uh-huh. and I grew up I grew up on this art form yeah. in a way that it means a lot to me and not just because I'm a member of 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 the community and of mm-hmm. the culture and I do it but you know we talked about music being soundtracks to events you know I can think of the first time that I heard Jizz's Liquid Swords mm-hmm. or heard you know Ready to Die or heard The Blueprint I know the first time that I heard these things because it's just embedded just within my life. Mm-hmm. So when you make a mockery of it, mm-hmm. you know, there's a large part of me that's like, yo, like, I don't really appreciate that shit. Right. Because 
this is a culture. You know, when you go, we talked about, you know, the, the New York hip hop scene and being in shows. And it's really not just New York, but it's nationwide, it's global. Going to shows and being within that community, mm-hmm. you go to a rap show and it's, it's fun. It's a welcoming environment. Mm-hmm. People get, you know, especially New York club owners get this idea in their mind. Well, we're not booking hip hop because violence happens, mm. drugs. I've seen more fights and more drugs at punk rock and hardcore sure. shows than I ever have at a New York rap show. Yeah. You know, like, what are we talking about? Somebody has a little bit of weed. Everybody smokes weed and you're yeah. going to cut, you're going to cancel all these shows. <laughs> Every couple months, it's like, oh, well, there goes another club. They're not booking us anymore. Uh. There's been so many spots where I have great memories of being at these rap shows with my best friends and my community and my wife and my family is out here. And we can't book those clubs anymore yeah. because... We're dangerous. Right. Yo, have you ever seen a real mosh pit? Have you ever been to a hardcore yes, show? Yes, I have. Like, I've know, broken my like, nose in one. Yeah, you know about it? <laughs> I've never broken a bone in a rap show. Right. You know what I mean? It's Most just people like, don't really get that violent when they're stoned out of their minds. No, it's just like, and it's not even, and it's not even just that. Like, people no, go. I, I mean, that's no, 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 of course. But like, people go and it's just like, it's a community thing. It's a community thing. So if you don't respect that community aspect to it, you don't respect the creative culture that's been that's 40 years old. Yeah. You know, and these are kids. It's like you were not a twinkle in anybody's eye and this shit was already on and popping. And now you want to come through and make a joke about it. Like, right. Right. Like I got I got to cool. feel a certain way about that because this is not just because I make it, but this is my life. Right. You know, at the same time. They're kids. Mm-hmm. And kids are going to do what kids are going to do. <laughs> and they don't have to feel the same way about it that I do because I didn't feel the same way about, I don't know. I mean, I did love Otis, I, I do love Otis, Redding, Otis Redding and Marvin Gaye and all that. But like my father is an enormous Billy Paul fan. Okay. Now I love Billy Paul. Me, uh, me and Mrs. Jones is one of oh, yeah. my favorite all time songs. It's my dad's favorite song. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you catch that. But like, I don't love all the rest of Billy Paul's discography, but that doesn't mean I don't get it. That doesn't mean I, ha- I have to diss it, but I don't have to like the same thing that my father does. Right. These kids don't have to like the same thing that I do, but don't make a mockery of it because people are going to take that a certain way. Right. You know, you're devaluing the artistic nature of it, mm-hmm. and it's you don't have to be that deep in it, but you don't have to you don't have to play games about it either. But it could be considered parody, but then parody's different. Like cause then then you got like. Weird Al, and he like he'll do like some hip hop parodies that I think are pretty amazing. I do too, <laughs> but, but see, I think that there's a there's a line of good parody, yeah, but good parody still shows respect to right. the original creation. Exactly. To do a good job with it, you have to respect the original exactly. artistry. You have to it get that through. in order to do the do to do a good parody. Like right. they get it. Like I'm down with that. Yeah, but when and they're also obviously parody you know like there's no bones about it they're like this is what like this is what it is we're doing a parody thing this gets into that gray area of how do you separate the art from the artist right right and it's a big challenge there's people like look i don't listen to r kelly records anymore you know like i'm not putting that on okay i have another thing i want to ask so a lot of a lot of times in in hip-hop you'll hear someone who's clearly not a singer and they have these melodic portions in their song where they're like kind of singing yeah but instead of getting like a really good singer to do it because yep. there's obviously a lot of great singing on hip-hop records sure. yeah they're kind of singing like kind of a tuneless kind of singing again i sound like a dick asking no this, this is but i'm confused by it i is it a thing on purpose do you know what i mean 
Or is it just yes. like you can't really sing and you're trying to? I think the answer <laughs> to both of those things is yes. Okay. I feel like... But I, because it almost feels like you're making fun of singing. Like from my, that's why I brought up just now. Because right, right, from right. some, it could be kind of like being like, singing is so lame. Like, why do I need to sing? Let me just do this kind of half-assed version of singing. That's not really singing. I, uh, then now aren't you just disrespecting singing as a art form? <laughs> I mean. And I'm asking only just as like an archaeologist, not to be judgmental right, right, right. or anything. Oh, yeah. No, no, seriously. For sure. Yeah, and, you know, I, like because I, I think there's a certain amount of well, I don't want it to be too pretty. I don't want it to be too polished. Just right. kind of leave it raw. And I want to do this. I want that kind of sound. Yeah. So I think there is there is there is an aspect of that. I find that regardless of whether or not I think somebody sounds good, mm-hmm. I find that artistic endeavor. Mm-hmm. Of certain value. Yeah. You know, because if you got a sound in your head and mm-hmm. if that's your sound, yeah. get your sound and fuck me. Who asked my opinion on whether or not right. I like it? Right. I can have that opinion, but the only person that affects is really myself. Right. So there's that. Then there that was, was a nice way of saying fuck you to me. No, 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 Thank no, no, you. no, 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 not at all. You're but, allowed to. No, no. But then there's, there were big shifts early 2000s. Um, and it wasn't an R&B thing, and it seems clean, it seems cliche now, but it has really affected the last 15 years of pop music. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, the first time, and we're talking about auto-tune, the first time, you know, when Cher did the Do yeah. You Believe, you know, when it was, with, with that specific but hard auto-tune tuning. is a little different, I think, because that's cool. Well, I mean, but, not cool, it's, that's actually really kind of jarring in its own way, but I'm talking about where it's kind of this, like, you, you've got a little melody that becomes a thing. Da, 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 well, da, no, da. yeah, so, so, yeah. But, so, but so, so it transitioned to that. It transitions oh, okay. into that. So the auto-tune thing happened, and you had, like, specifically T-Pain and Akon were two artists where right. they specifically did this. I remember that, yeah. And then Lil Wayne started putting auto-tune on his raps. Yeah. Which I still, and this is just me being old, I don't understand why you're auto-tuning something that is not inherently... You know, in, lo- locked to key, right. Western twelve-step exactly. intonation. Right. I don't. It gives you the certain sound. I, ah, it's an effect. It's, I, it's an effect. I get it. It's not a sound that I particularly like, and so that's that's delving right. into personal taste. Right. But it comes from it comes from that, and there was this whole and then Kanye did 808s and Heartbreaks album. Okay. And when Kanye does something, it changes the landscape. Oh, really? And what uh, happened on that album? I'm not really. That was that was essentially his R and B pop record oh, to a so certain he's degree. Singing now. He's singing and Kanye really cannot sing. Okay. But he was tuned enough that was in there. Oh, but God. the but the melodies that he was that he was singing were catchy enough. There's so many stuck. great singers out there. So many. If you're and Kanye, why don't you get yeah. call John Legend yeah, and have John him come Legend. through exactly. and sing beautifully on this record exactly. and we got something here. Exactly. You know, but that isn't the vibe that he was going for and it's whatever. Yeah. But we've got we got to this kind of weird middle ground because another MC who when he says something maybe not today as much as 10 years ago when he says something has great impact and changes the game is Jay-Z yeah exactly you know now for for example on the Black Album he had this song Change Clothes and this whole thing was like yeah you know put on a crisp pair of jeans button up you're not wearing jerseys anymore and he changed fashion off that okay like he killed the basketball jersey thing. okay so he did this song called Death of Auto-Tune Oh, really? And he had this thing was on the Blueprint 3, and he was like, yeah, we're not doing that anymore. Okay. But that was kind of the first chink in Jay's armor where all of a sudden it didn't 
it didn't we didn't it didn't have that effect. Oh really? But now we're in this thing where hip hop has become very you hear people talk about rappers' melodies more than you hear them talk about their flows nowadays. That's so weird. And sometimes it's tuned, sometimes it's just that kind of meandering thing that you're talking about. I mean about. clearly a melody there is a melody in rapping, obviously. Like everyone's vocal timber is what makes you connect to right, them. Right. Yeah. And and there's there's always been that It's not like you said, it's not connected necessarily to the like twelve, you know tone western right, exactly. scale right it's so got a the, thing. right there's always been this mel- this yeah. melodic aspect to it and tone sure. of voice and you're absolutely right and there's a lot of rappers like pharaoh Monch, who we we're talking about before has a very melodic flow but mm-hmm. not in the same way as someone like i guess like a post malone who is essentially a lazy sounding pop singer okay on a lot of his records because this kind of thing it's you know these Pseudo song I mean, melodies. it's a continuum, right? Talking all of a sudden at some point becomes singing, but who's to define that? So, like, what? Why does it matter, right? Exactly. Is the you question. Know, singing and rapping have yeah. really blended in, yeah. You know, in a lot of ways, in a lot of pop music. I guess here's I would rephrase this question: It's like, as you as a producer, if somebody is like, "Hey, I got this hook," and it's like sung, and you're like, "Oh man, this guy can't hold that." note to save his life when do you say oh that's cool let me get this other person to come in and sing that and when do you say oh that's great let's do that um you know i mean it it, it depends very much on the yeah. vibe of the yeah. art uh, the, the vibe the vibe of that artist because yeah. some artists where there's just like yeah no i'm just gonna i'm just gonna hop in this melodic thing for a minute it's yeah like, okay cool like you went there the, yeah the, the why music not brought you there. exactly or why if it's not up? it's like all right look bro i see what you're going for yeah it ain't working i see what you're doing but you're gonna be you're gonna be sad in a couple of years when you go back and listen to this, <laughs> right. and we're like, "Damn, Green just got a singer and brought somebody in, right. and this would have been really cracking." Exactly. You know, there's a point, right? And really, that that point is dictated by the song. Exactly. And as a producer, my yeah. whole entire mindset, my life is just based around the concept of Absolutely. the song will tell you what it needs, yeah. And if you do that, you have a great song, and everything else falls into place. And you have really amazing instincts with that. Obviously, I mean, the, the stuff just sounds so good. Thank you. Oh, oh, Ebony Stone. That's, yes, that's so that killer stuff. that project. That's one of the big things that's coming out this year. That's going to be out in March. Mm-hmm. Um, they're a band. We're a band. Technically, I, I was so involved in the production engineering process mm-hmm. that I, I've, I've now been, I've now been made a member of the band. Okay. Uh, so uh, LMA Flossie is fronted by this fabulous MC named Liquid. Mm-hmm. Uh, she lives in Harlem from south carolina so much soul so much vibe amazing she's like she's so badass and she's she's, one of my favorite lyricists rapping right now and we've got an incredible band the band leader's name is zavin and he's just brilliant brilliant when you say a band like is it like you record as a band they record as a band the whole album is full live band really uh wow Keys, bass, drums, yeah. horns. We've got gospel choir on a couple on a couple wow. songs on there. 
Um, and then it was me executive producing, engineering, just laying hands on it. Uh, the first single is called Ebony Stone, which is that one. And really powerful, again, poignant, thought-provoking mm-hmm. music. Mm-hmm. But that shit bangs, Yeah, too, You know, and so that, I like to have that concept, like, okay, well, here's your sugar, but you got to take a little bit of the medicine with it. <laughs> you know, you got to have, or here's a lot of medicine, but we'll give you a nice groove with a it, too. Just to, exactly, just just to smooth it out. Uh, but the LMA Flossy record is something I'm super excited about, very proud of, and big beats, but coming from this whole band and great arrangements and phenomenal rhymes. So that's something Sounds to look out great. for. Uh, that's coming out in March, I believe. Great. So I kind of want to wrap up, but I want to sure. ask you if you have a what's what you have coming up. Like, what are you what are you working on? Yeah, a lot of stuff on the uh, on the schedule for 2019. Um, wrapping up a, an, uh, an album with a singer named Barry McLean. Another EP with another singer from the album, Lauren Kelly Benson from mm-hmm. Haunted Ocean. Uh, we're in the middle of cutting vocals for that now. Mm-hmm. Um, I am producing, executive producing a project for Prem Rock and Curly Castro, also from that album. Uh, they have a group called Shrapnel, mm-hmm. uh, which is real aggressive, very deep stuff. Um, and then finally, after more than a decade of working together, uh, me and Billy Woods are doing a, a duo album. Great. Uh, one producer, one MC, me and him. Cool. You know, I've mixed all of his albums for the past 10 years. I've, we've done hundreds of songs, but we've never done one that's just William and William. So cool. we're going we're gonna to do that. He won't let me call it that, but I'm, that's, that, that, that's my choice for the album name. All right. Uh, but we'll see what that's going to be. Um, I've got a band called the Junkie Twins I'm doing an album for. Yeah, i got a lot going on. Cool. So, yeah, we're just going to be, hopefully my name will be ringing out this year. That's the plan. Fantastic. That's so great. Thank you for doing this. It's been so good talking to you. Absolutely. Yo, Looking- thank you for having me. This has really, really been great. I really enjoyed it. All right, thank you for listening to my conversation with Willie Green. That was really interesting. I enjoyed it. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Something that's occurred to me lately is that there's a parallel between the world of hip-hop and the military in the sense that both are always kind of at the cutting edge of technological innovations. Hip-hop's always figuring out how to do some production stuff that then gets co-opted by kind of different forms of music and sometimes much lamer forms of music and sometimes more, you know, different, interesting movements in pop and rock. The military is always coming up with all this technology that then gets co-opted by more benign and more useful segments of society. So they're sort of the opposite. Hip-hop's coming up with stuff that then gets kind of washed out and used by other people and kind of lamified. The military's trying to kill people and then their technology gets used for good by you know to like advance the cause of society so interesting little idea that just popped into my head anyway i hope you enjoyed that i hope it was enlightening um as of this recording uh we still have the same president he has not been impeached yet um everyone's doing the best they can to hang in there and exist within this bizarre system that we live in um hopefully some people will come to their senses soon and we will get back to some sort of semblance of normal to see um there are people out there who think trump's doing a great job think the country's heading in the right direction 
and they happen to be musicians, please come talk to me. I really would love to have a conversation with someone who has a different political viewpoint from me. If you're out there, come. We'll have a respectful conversation. We won't yell at each other. We'll listen to each other, and maybe we'll figure something out. I'm willing to. I'd love to learn from you. Come on, step up, man. Show up. Have a conversation. Stand behind your beliefs. Put your money where your mouth is. Come to the PF Pressure Podcast. The world is waiting for sanity and truth to take shape again. Don't let it pass you behind you.